rest of my life. Amen. Oh, God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. Oh, God is good all the time. Amen. If you're walking the valley and the shadows all around. Oh, do not fear, for oh, He will guide you. He will keep you safe and sound. He has promised to never leave you, oh, nor forsake you.
it brings With the comfort and open Oh, I'll soon be gone As God gives me grace I'm gonna run this race Until I see my Savior to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Uh, I just want to welcome all of you guys that are here, all, the, all those that are uh, streaming the service. It's just a blessing to see all of your faces. It's a lot better than uh, spending time in my room studying for finals, studying uh, for those uh, final exams. I know a lot of students are going through finals this week, so just want to remember those. Um, yeah, just uh, excited to see what the Lord has in store for us, what he has to say. pray that it would just uh, be a blessing for all of you. Um, before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer, uh, let's just sing that song. Uh, it's Jesus, I really wanted to see an uh, F. It's Jesus, I really want to see. Lord, uh, just remember the drums. We've got a unspoken prayer request. 
If we can just uh, continue to remember Sister Mary Smith, as well as uh, remember Anna Whitlock. And then um, if we could just remember Sister Sarah Buchanan. If uh, Lincoln Clayville, Brother Lincoln, if you would uh, come and uh, pray for these needs.
Order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me and guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps in your word. Thank you. 
Praise the Lord. God bless you, saints. Good to have you with the Lord tonight. This is our fourth youth-run Wednesday night service, and I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this more and more. I think it's wonderful, and I think we need to have some young sisters to sing specials. Let's sing tonight one more chorus. Every praise. Every praise. Every here uh, before we pray. Um, <clears throat> Brother Jason Watkins' mother-in-law passed away early this morning, and that's Matt's grandmother and uh, here in Hickory, and uh, we sure want to remember the family in prayer, uh, if you don't mind, over the next few days. Brother Aaron and Sister Trish are not here tonight. They've been away and uh, listening tonight. Lucas and Haley taking off tomorrow. We want to pray for them. They're going away for their anniversary, and we wish them all the best. Maddie and Micah left today for Arizona. God bless the Irish family. We also have a caregiver who works for us to help with Brother Fulcher, and today we got a call. Her uh, daughter's young girl uh, was found unresponsive in her home. And uh, they have no idea what the problem is. I have not gotten any updates at all. And uh, if you don't mind, I told uh, 
her today that we would remember her daughter in that situation in prayer. You never know. These days you never know. It's, it pays. It pays to be uh, in a right standing with God for sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunities we have to be able to join to our hearts together, Lord, and join our faith together in a service like on this Wednesday night. And there's a lot of things we could be doing. There's a lot of things that call for our attention. There's a lot of things, Lord, that demand time from us. But Lord, these people tonight have stepped aside and they have come to this place tonight, Lord, not because it's a special building, but Lord, because your presence makes it special. And so we invite you now to speak to our hearts and we pray that your holy presence would visit us and speak to us, Lord. We already sent your presence among us and Lord, we're thankful for that. It's always such a sweet and blessed thing to be near where you are. Have your way among us, Lord. Minister to all of those special requests that we have mentioned, Lord, and Brother Joe has mentioned, and we bind them all together now and lay them at your feet because we know, Lord, you care for us. And we pray now that you would bless the word, breathe upon it, Lord, make it live, quicken it to our hearts, and Lord, we'll give you all the praise and the glory. For the people who are streaming tonight, we ask your blessing upon them as well. Father, have your way in every heart and every life. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Take your Bibles, if you will. And we're going to go to the book of Judges, chapter 7. As you're turning, I'd like to read a little note from Brother Smith uh, tonight. Thank you, musicians. We'll let you take your places there. And thank you, Joe. Who knew Joe could sing? I'll tell you what. Brother Barry, the physical therapy nurse came by and worked with Mary yesterday. Today a nurse came by and helped her uh, as well. The occupational nurse came by and worked with Sister Mary to help strengthen her body, uh, teaching her how to redo things again. The regular nurse came by and checked her vitals. Her BP number was fine. Her blood sugar was, was uh, much, much better and a lot better than it was in the hospital. We pray for a spirit-filled, uplifting service tonight, and it was a spiritual message that you brought Sunday morning. Thank you sincerely, Brother and Sister Smith. They may not be here in body, but they are here in spirit. That's for sure, and we appreciate them very much. Well, let's look in the book of Judges here tonight. We're still on the subject of seven things that adoption teaches us. This is part 11. This is a story of uh, God whittling down the numbers uh, that are going to fight against the Midianites. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them there. I will search them. I'm going to test them. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. May God, at his blessing, you may be seated tonight. I hope you're not tiring of this subject of seven things that adoption teaches us. But we have an opportunity, really, to listen to the heavenly counsel of God in helping us to know exactly what it is that we should be doing uh, in this Christian journey, in this Christian walk. And I love the, uh, I love the discussion of the, uh, 
of, of that journey and the process that God takes us through. There are lots of promises. There's lots of prophecies about our time. And every, pro- every prophecy requires a process for completion. Right? When, when God gave a promise to Abraham about his seed sojourning in a strange land, but I will deliver them, bring them back into this land, who knew that that process would span 400 years or more? And who knew it would involve so many being lost in the wilderness? And who knew uh, it would involve the opening of the Red Sea and water from the rock and manna from the skies and quail with the wind? Who knew? All of those things were a part of the process, but they were. Very often, God gives us the promises over and over, but does not describe the process. If we knew the process, many of us would draw back. But God gives us the promise over and over again. He gives us the prophecies over and over again. And he says, this is what's going to happen. This is, the, this is what's going to uh, be coming down the pipe. Uh, this, this is our, your end. This is the way it's going. And uh, this is where you're going to be. And God does not describe the process in great detail very often. If he does, he gives us little chunks. And that's about it. Because, again, we would probably withdraw from the process if we knew all the details of it. We know that through this life, our goal is very clear. The change of our body, the, the rapture, the wedding supper, the, uh, you know, the, the millennium and so forth. That's the end goal. That's the promise. God does not tell us everything that happens between here and there. If we knew, mm, you'd have to wonder. You'd have to wonder how many of us would embrace each day with enthusiasm if we knew. Because you don't know what the every day holds. You just have to keep that promise burning in your heart and keep it before you and realize that, you know what, all things work together for good. It's hard to say that when you're going through difficult times and valleys and uh, decisions and crises. It's hard to say that sometimes, but yet it's true. And therefore, we, we hold to that. Now, I'd like to say this uh, tonight just as a bit of a way of introduction as to why we're actually doing this, why we're doing this, uh, this little particular study. And uh, Brother Branham said in the COD book, I believe that we're saved by accepting Jesus Christ. And water baptism is an outward expression to show that something inwardly has happened because water doesn't have any virtue. It's just a symbol, right? It's the blood of Christ that we come under. So, well then, he says, why do you recall the people to be rebaptized? Uh, is because I'm following the pattern of the beginning. Why are you teaching on this? I mean, why do you, why do you, why do you recall everybody to be baptized? And that's quite a thing for uh, you know, someone to recall everybody who's been baptized incorrectly to be baptized correctly when everybody thinks they're baptized correctly. No one, no one uh, looks, at, looks at it and says, ah, oh, there's two ways to be baptized. I think I'll choose the wrong way. People don't do that, right? We don't do that. We are, we are, everyone is taught a way to be baptized, taught a way to be saved. And uh, uh, here's Brother Branham, and, and he does this over and over again. He recalls the people to be rebaptized because if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, that's not a name. And so he recalls the people, and he says, It's because I'm following the pattern of the beginning. I, he said, We can't lose that blueprint. So you understand, he's equating the Bible with the blueprint, with a blueprint, right? 
therefore, a blueprint in its origin has to come from an architect. Somebody who understands in advance, before there's any holes dug or sods turned, he understands what this building is actually going to look like, what it's going to require, how wide the doors are going to be, and how much you know, support does, uh, do we need to have. Uh, he understands all of that in advance when nothing is tangible, and he has to put it on paper. And when he puts it on paper, then the builders go to work, and they begin to develop that scene uh, just exactly as the blueprints describe. Are we okay? So the Bible's a blueprint, right? If you got the blueprint, you're okay, right? Oh, yeah? I got a blueprint with me tonight. All right, guys. You're on. Here's the blueprints for this building, okay? This is an as-is drawing. Hold on to it. It's an as-is drawing. There's about 50 pages here, and uh, here's, just for your information, here's what it looks like here. Here's the blueprint of our building, okay? Now, you got the blueprint, so you know what's going on, right? I mean, that's this building. I'm not asking you to draw the building, but can you tell me, is that wall a load-bearing wall from the blueprint? You have the blueprint, and all of that information is in there. Can you guys tell me four? You got four great minds, four astute minds. Tell me from your blueprints, you can flip through it if you want, is that wall a load-bearing wall? Because we need to make some adjustments here in the assembly. Can you tell me, is that wall a load-bearing wall? Now, an architect, that wouldn't be a problem for an architect, right, sister? It wouldn't be a problem at all for an architect because he'd look at that and he'd, he'd know where to look. <clears throat> Guys, I'll go on preaching while you're looking. Um, <laughs> Because there's nothing worse than dead space. Um, look, there's four of you. I, I mean, I could have given it to one of you, I know, but there, there's four of you. So, Sawyer, you, you lead that pack there you got, okay? And tell me. I mean, they have, you have the blueprint of this building. It's not another building. It's this building. And so I just need to know, if you, if, since you have the master plan, because that's the one that they built this building with, if you could tell me if that's a load-bearing wall. Okay, when you find the answer to that, if you could let me know you don't mind? I'll just carry on, okay? The Bible is a blueprint. So if you have the blueprint, you got all the answers, right? Huh. Is that true? All right, girls, your turn. You have four great minds here. <laughs> all right, here's the Bible. Take it. Can you tell me, Brother Branham says, uh, makes a statement here, and I'd like to have an answer. You have the blueprint, in your hand, right? <clears throat> Brother Branham says, let me just find a statement that he makes here. He says, I believe that every man, woman, boy or girl, you guys keep working on that, as born of the Spirit of God is a Nazarite unto the Lord because they have separated themselves from the cares of the world and whatever the world has to say. You'll find this answer in Numbers chapter 6. And God has one way of bringing light to you, and that's when you're ready to separate yourself from all the things of the world. Can you tell me in the New Testament what a Nazarite has to do? In the Old Testament, it's described in Numbers chapter 6. Brother Branham says, everyone who's born again uh, today with the Spirit of God is also a Nazarite. So what do we have to do? Do we have guys who don't cut their hair? 
And are we allowed to drink wine? Because those are the two main requirements of a Nazarite in Numbers chapter 6. Now, you've got the blueprint, right? They've got a blueprint. <laughs> Bless their hearts. <laughs> You're doing a great job, guys. Keep at it there. If you have the blueprint, you have all the answers, right? I mean, that, that is, is the Bible to this building, right? You have the Bible that has answers. And here's Brother Brandon making a statement. And if you have... Since there's four of you, I could have given it to any one of you, but since there's four of you, go ahead and come up with the answer, if you don't mind, of what, what it means to be a Nazarite in the New Testament. Is that all right? I'll just go on preaching while, while you girls are working that over. Sometimes it's just a lot of fun to come to church. <laughs> now let me just say this while our students are working diligently over here. If you, if you look in the Bible at the rich young ruler, and the story is told in three of the Gospels, in Mark chapter 10, the Bible says that when he was gone forth in the way, when Jesus was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Now, I'm answering the question here as to why we actually are doing this. Why are we doing this study at all on the subject of adoption and, and learning as we are? And I will tell you this, that when the rich young ruler came to him, he was coming to him to get something from him. And he wanted to, he wanted to walk away with something from Jesus. The answer that Jesus gives us tells us what the problem is with his question. Because he said, there's really none, that are, none that's good. Why callest thou me good? There is none good that's God, but, but God. And he's trying to help him move along the path to a real understanding of what his question should be. Because he's asking for something from Jesus. But when you look at David as a young man back in Psalm 71... He's, he's saying things differently. He said, thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. I have had a relationship with God since my youth. And you know what? The relationship is the most important thing. Not necessarily what you get from God. Because if you base your walk on just things, external things that you get from God, you are going to falter, and it's almost like adding sand to cement or uh, uh, soil to cement. You're going to weaken what God intends. You're going to weaken what God really wants. He's not after you just to go to him and ask for things and uh, get things that you can have. Uh, he, he wants to have, first of all, a relationship with you. And once the relationship is established... There are lots of things that happen to you along that road. And he helps us in many ways along that road. But I will tell you something. It, it's not the basis for our relationship should not be, well, he gave me this and he does this and there's a promise of reward here and a promise of reward here. And we're joining up because the rewards are better under Brother Barry's ministry than they are in the Baptist church. That's not why we should come here. 
The first thing that everybody needs to have is a relationship with Christ. And that starts a walk. And in that walk, there are many possibilities. There are many things that happen. And there are many, uh, many uh, choices even along that road. But everything begins with that initial relationship that you begin to have with Christ. And so this rich young ruler is asking from the point of view of what do I get if I, if, if I um, ask the right question and I'll get the right thing. And David is saying, hey, Lord, I have trusted you from my youth. My heart is sold out to you. It's always been. I'm trusting you today just like I trusted you when I was, when I was a young man. And that's, the, uh, that, that's the, the motive for following you is because I have always followed you and I've always trusted you and I've always had my confidence in you. And <clears throat> once we begin that journey like David did, we come to places where we don't have answers. I might illustrate it this way. These astute young fellows have got the blueprint, but they're having a little trouble finding the answer. Wouldn't it be great if the architect came by and showed them where the answer lay? Or better yet, wouldn't it be okay if the architect sent his assistant to come and say, the answer is on page 22? Wouldn't that be great? Save you guys a lot of work, right? Wouldn't it be great if the Lord Jesus walked through the doors and pointed to a Bible verse that gave you the answer to that question? Wouldn't that be great? In lieu of that, wouldn't it be great if he sent one of his assistants, the fivefold ministry, to help point that out to you? Can I have my Bible back? Or do you want to hang on to it? Okay. Do you get the point? <clears throat> it isn't just, hey, look, if we could figure it all out by having the Bible and staying home or listening to the tapes and staying home, somehow or another, God would have told us that. It, it, if, if we could just figure it all out by having the blueprints, you know what? We, we, we wouldn't need to, uh, you know, I mean, it, it'd be, we wouldn't need the architect. We, we, could, we could figure it out on our own. But you know what? Sometimes there are things that are found in your journey that are harder than what your mental ability is capable of figuring out. And that's not an insult. That's not an insult, guys. Don't, you keep looking there. You keep pressing on. You're doing a great job. But there are times when God has set it up that on this journey, hey, I know there's going to be difficulties you're facing, and I know sometimes the answer is not obvious. Let me ask you the question. How many of you have ever come to church with a question or an issue or problem, and the Holy Spirit directed the minister to answer that problem, and you know he didn't know? How many of you have ever had that happen? God speaks to something, and you know no one knows about that problem in the first place. That's the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to adoption, uh, you know, it, it, is, it is not based on what, we're, what we get from God. And I, I want to be blessed. I want to be rich. I want to have a wife. I want to have a husband. It, it isn't what we get from God. When we base our, our existence or our relationship with God on external things, when the external things stop, we feel like, whoa, maybe I don't even have a walk with God. And the devil will jump on your shoulder and make you feel real bad during that time. Right? But Paul says it this way. I know both how to be abased, low, and I know how to abound, have plenty. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound 
and to suffer need. So whether I have a lot or a little, whether I feel up here or down here, you know what? I still have a relationship with God. This does not determine my relationship with God. I can survive in my relationship with God and go through all of these things and know that he's with me no matter where I am. Adoption teaches us from the beginning that it all starts not with you understanding the boundaries and the rules and being able to take the book and trying to figure it out yourself. Hey, in reality, we can't do that. But he has a way of teaching us over time and he has a place where we can bring our questions so that he can answer them sovereignly. That's what adoption teaches us. Does that make sense? Going around about a little, uh, round about a little bit. But here's Brother Branham now in his church. And he's, he's, the subject is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now watch what he says. Now don't be offended at this, but watch what he says. We're studying and taking our time on this church doctrine here. And this is paragraph two. So he's starting out the service with this. Okay? And there may be some strangers with us. I'm not here in the tabernacle enough to know who's members of the church. But I announced that this would be just for the members of the church because... People have so many different doctrines. And when you come into another church, maybe it teaches something very contrary. And they think, well, say, I don't agree with that. And we don't mean to be rude or hurt anybody. But the reason we do this, you, he says, now you believe whatever you wish. And I'm, I'm placing it and, and have to make it real strong. And that's, this is what we stand for here. And that way, we wouldn't want you to feel offended and think that we were trying to hurt you or your belief or anything at all. That's not it. So, Brother Bram, simply saying, for as for me and my house, here's the way that God has dealt with us. And he's saying, if you've, you felt led to pull in in our church in Brandon Tabernacle, and he says, uh, we, we just want you to be sure that you're clear on, on how things roll around here and how things go. And uh, we're, I mean, let's put it in our context. I mean, we're a little bit different, right, in our way. We do communion a little bit differently than most churches. As a matter of fact, I don't know two churches that do communion the same way or at the same time. And uh, we, we uh, run our services just a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that we, uh, we're, we're kind of a, a tight church. I mean, in the sense that, you know, we like to, uh, you know, do things together, and we have events through the year, and we like to, uh, you know, have uh, have families come together because I I think that's very important, and I put a lot of emphasis on that over the years, and uh, we conduct our services the way that we do because that's the way we felt led to do it, and might be a little bit different than somebody else, uh, you know, uh, churches have a different emphasis on music, uh, some churches have a different emphasis on the gifts. And you know what? That's entirely up to them as to how they want to do that. But when it comes down to teaching, I feel like Brother Branham here, that I think it's good for us to go over some of the basic things here so that we're all clear. Because you know what? Even if you're not new here, um, you know, uh, these all, all these guys here uh, raised in church, they're going to perceive what I'm going to say differently than what these guys are going to perceive because they're a bit older. But we also have new parents here, right, who are, you know, got young family raising up kids here, and they need, oh, wow, I better pay attention to this because I'm going to have to teach my kids. Or you come to church and say, my kids asked me a doozy question today, and I don't have a clue how to answer them. 
And so we're learning all the time because we're passing information on to new generations all the time, right? So these guys, for the whole service, they're going to be preoccupied with this set of blueprints here. Some of you older folk, young people here are going to listen in a different way to some of the things that I'm talking about. And Brother Bram said, we go through this about every two to three years around here and the doctrine we stand for and why we do it and why we believe this. And so if there be strangers here who's not a member of the church, we're certainly glad to have you set in on this discussion this morning and also tonight as that's what we're going to be going through. And he's just uh, explaining to the people that that's a, that's a good thing to do. Last week we talked a little bit about holiness, right? And I think it's a good thing for us to remind ourselves of that principle because we're supposed to worship the Lord in the beauty of worldliness. No, sir, in the beauty of holiness. And I think it does matter how we appear on the outside versus saying, well, I gave my heart to Jesus and so uh, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. Brother Bram said the Bible says it does. Let me, let me re- recall uh, the three things that we mentioned last Wednesday, and I'm going to move on. Here's Brother Branham out in Arizona. He's at a Ramada hotel, and Brother uh, Earl Williams told me this. Brother Earl Williams was a young man at this particular meeting, and he said that Brother Branham had a, had a, a poolside room that looked out at the swimming pool, and there was all kinds of women out there uh, apparently who were professing to be Christian women and dressed in inappropriate bathing suits and so forth. And Brother Branham had to close the uh, curtain, you know, because it was, all, it was all outdoors. It was all very public there. And he was, he was there for a convention, and he was going to be speaking uh, to the full gospel businessmen there. And Brother Branham was saying in his prayer as he was preparing to go, he said, God, why, why should I speak to my sisters in the way that I do. Not wanting to say those things, but, you know, why should I do that? Why, you know, how, you've led me to do certain things and so forth. And he said, just as sweetly, voice, but something inside me said, I don't want my children looking like that. And that's what he's referring to. The women who were all out there in public uh, in, the, in the pool, he says, you're a different people. So God actually has a concern for how we look, how we conduct ourselves in public and in private and everything in church and everything else. And, and he's, he let Brother Branham know that, you know, there has to be a voice that, that cries out against the wrong thing and establishes the right thing. Is that all right? Yeah. There, there has to be a voice somewhere. And even though there may not be many, uh, there has to be a voice. And I'd like to be identified as one of those voices that at least stands for what's right. <clears throat> and... Uh, you know, makes, makes what's right solid and uh, decries the, the false or the bad thing. So this is what we talked about last uh, Wednesday night. There are three good reasons for us to talk about this subject of holiness, and I'm going to move on tonight, so just very briefly. In verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And sanctification means the cleansing of the heart and life of a person that you should abstain from fornication, and not just fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So there are a lot of times when sexual sins occur because people have presented themselves in the wrong way. That's not always true, but that is, that is something that uh, God is very concerned about. The second thing is, in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness, 
without which no man shall see the Lord. So the second reason is, is that somehow or another, our way into the kingdom is going to include holiness living. Number three, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And we want the Holy Spirit to do that in us. And according to Romans chapter 13, in the bottom here, uh, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So yes, we do live in a constant struggle with the flesh. For girls, that's a different kind of a struggle. For boys, that's a different kind of a struggle. For adults, that's a different kind of a struggle as well. But it's nice for us to talk about that because that's what the Bible is telling us to do. And Brother Branham has a lot to say about it. So here's Brother Branham now in the quote I gave the girls here. Uh, he says that everyone who is born of the Spirit of God is a Nazarite. And a Nazarite was somebody who was endowed with special uh, abilities. They had certain characteristics. Uh, they were gifted. They might be prophets or seers or dreamers uh, in the Old Testament. And they took a vow to be separate. As a sign of their vow, they would not cut their hair like John the Baptist. Or they would not drink wine. Or Samson was another one. Or John the Baptist would not drink wine. And those are the two earmarks of somebody who had taken a Nazarite vow. And they were simply a symbol of the fact that they were separate from the rest of the crowd. They were separate because God wanted to use them in a special way. In, in a spiritual sense, we also, we also are separate from the mainstream and separate from the ordinary way of doing things. And God has done that. We, we don't try to do that ourselves in the same way that somebody doesn't try to be gifted themselves. A gift is without uh, repentance, right? A gift and a calling is without repentance. And so therefore, when God calls us, he brings uh, brings us a separation. There's a natural separation from the things of the world. So we don't carry on like everybody else in the world, right? We don't carry on and do things like we used to do. It's not, oh, wow, hey, born again. Now I can go back and do everything I used to do with all the people I used to do it with. No, there's a separation that comes. And Brother Branham goes on to say, God has one way of bringing light to you. That's when you're ready to separate yourself from all of the things of the world. So we go back and look at Abraham, right? When God called Abraham, he separated him, kept separating him until it was just Abraham and God. And that's what God wants, you and him. And God will begin to reveal. It's amazing what God will begin to show you when you cling only to God's promised word, okay? So that's the idea. And... <clears throat> We find over here in the book of Mark, he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. What judgment you give out, that's the judgment you'll, you'll receive in return. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he, hath, for he that hath, to him shall be given, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So the way that you get more from God is to be able to be faithful with what God gives you. And for him that hath, to him shall be given. God gives more. When God uh, finds a person that he can bless and he can bestow good things on, he, he desires to give more. Now, watch the amplified version of that same verse. He saith unto them, pay attention to what you hear by your own standard of measurement, that is to extend to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom, It'll be measured to you, and you will be given greater ability to respond. And more will be given to you besides. For whosoever has is the part I wanted to get to. 
For whosoever has a teachable heart, to him more understanding will be given. And whosoever has a yearning for truth, even what he has will be taken away from him. So whoever has a teachable heart, to him more understanding will be given. When you have a teachable heart, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a blessing because if, if, you're, uh, if you're willing to listen to subsequent things, if God's, God, God desires to show more and more than what we already know, and I believe that we need to know more because we're still in these bodies. We need to have a greater understanding, and that will probably require a greater sincerity and a greater shaking down for us. We probably need to make an extra step. You think, well, I've lived my life as close as I possibly can. Hey, listen, God's desire is to show you more. And the way, that he, the way that you'll receive more is to keep your teachable heart open and your mind ready to receive whenever God decides to reveal himself. That's entirely up to God. Fellas, you know what? <clears throat> Thanks. You've done a great job. Let me take this, all right? And I'll tell you what. After church, we're going to set you guys up at the fellowship hall and let you, uh, let you go through those plans again, okay? God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for doing that. You guys did a great job, but you still don't have an answer. My goodness. It'd be great to have the architect come around. All right. Truth will set you free. <clears throat> Brother Branham says, this boy, any, any boy born in this Old Testament setting, soon as he was born a baby, he was a son. He didn't have to do anything to become a son. He's already a son. But he has a tutor over him. And this tutor educated him and raised him. And you know in Ephesians and Galatians, Paul speaks of it. And he said this tutor kept word to the Father how the Son was progressing. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing today in the church. When I read that, I thought, wow, that's interesting. We all know that first part. That's how Brother Bram describes adoption many times. Stay with me now. And then he says, and that's what the Holy Spirit's doing today in the church. Really? How's he doing that? How is he reporting to the Father what I'm doing or what you're doing? He said that's why the church should be in order. The Holy Spirit's taking back, taking word back and forth. He's the raiser, the tutor of the church, of the individual, when it's born into the kingdom of God. Some of you are looking at me kind of funny, and I think you should. Because what he's saying here is that if you're born in the kingdom of God, if somebody's truly born again, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's taking notes. Because <laughs> i got to tell somebody. i got to report on how Brother Chris is doing. Be back in a minute. i got to tell somebody what he just did. Back, I'll be back in a minute. Brother Samuel did something that he needs to know. I thought, Wow. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing today in the church. Our tutor, the one who's trying to accomplish things in us, is actually, try, is actually given a mandate to report how we're doing. I just, I mean, 
I, I guess I'm, I'm wired a little bit differently. I just think a little bit differently about these statements here, but Brother Branham said that's what the Holy Spirit's doing today in the church. So I began to think about that. Where in the Bible, where in the Bible can we find an example of somebody who was called of God and then monitored? Monitored as to how his progress was. Monitored as to how his behavior was so that he could give a report to God and then God could say, okay, good, we're done, graduation, off you go. I was trying to think of where that would be in the Bible. And then I began to think about Joseph. And the Bible says in Psalm 105, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, before the sons of Israel, went down to Egypt. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters, and he was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. So the word of the Lord was actually trying Joseph, training Joseph. And he was going through all of these things here with the slavery and the fetters and the bondage and and captivity and all of that. And the Holy Spirit... We could say the word of the Lord was trying him because God had chosen Joseph to do something extraordinary as a direct type of Jesus Christ himself. And, and he's, given, he's given a commission. Remember in the, when he tells his brothers that he's had this dream and he's going to be a ruler. That We know what the dream means because we're looking backwards, right? And we know that he's to be a ruler of his people. And he's going to have everybody in the country bow down to him and pay obeisance to him. Remember, you know the story, right? And so that's the word that comes to him. That's that's the promise that's given to Joseph. He's not given any idea about the process of how we're going to get there, but he's given the promise. And the process of getting him from the revelation of the dream, or sorry, the, the, the presentation of the dream or the vision, the process of getting him from that to the throne was really quite a story, wasn't it? And the word of the Lord given to him refines him because he comes down to, in all of his experience, everything else is taken away from him. The only thing he's got left is that promise. He doesn't even have his own freedom. He doesn't even have his own cell phone. He doesn't even have the ability to go to a camp or go to church. Or He doesn't have anything. His life is completely taken over by, uh, by uh, uh, you know, authorities and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. And all of these things happen to him. But you know what? Somebody's watching Joseph to see, does he, does he cave in? Does he give up? Does he uh, stay faithful to the thing that I told him to do? And the word of the Lord tries him. God's given him a word. Is he faithful to that? God gives him a word, and is he going to be consistent with that promise and one day come out a ruler and God's watching over him just like God's watching over us? <clears throat> this whole idea of refining, it's, it's like a smelter who, uh, a, a blacksmith or a goldsmith who would take ore and put it in, uh, under the heat, put it into the fire, and he's not 
creating gold. He's just eliminating everything else that's not gold. Are you, are you following me? So his job is not to create gold. And, and, and this whole process was not to make Joseph, uh, you know, anything different than what he was. It was simply to bring out the thing that God had placed in him to do. Right? Had to, had, this, this whole experience was bringing out everything that would make him the best steward over the assets of Egypt that anybody could be. Because he knew he had to trust in God. He knew he had to depend on God. He knew he had to follow God's instructions. Everything else was taken away from him. But all of this dross, all of that stuff, like a refiner's fire, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit today is a refiner of your life and we go through things not because we volunteer for them, but God's trying to take away what doesn't belong in the land you're going to. You're going somewhere, and God is preparing you for that land. And this whole process of refining is, this whole process of trying you is to get out everything that doesn't belong. You are not going to become sons of God. You already are sons of God. You're not going to become more eternal as we go on in the message of the hour. Let me tell you, we already have eternal life. And if you already have eternal life, God wants you to rest on that and realize no matter what you face in the journey, no matter what you face in the process, you come to the place where you confess with your own mouth, I don't care what happens to me, I will come forth as gold because God's given me the promise. It might sound simple, but it's not simple to go through. Families break up. People who stood at altars and vowed they'd live together until they were old and never forsake one another in sickness and in health and all the rest of it. Let me tell you, things happen in life. Bankruptcies happen. Catastrophes come. Viruses sweep the world. Things that we, uh, we hear of, things we don't. Things we expect, things we don't. Things we cause, things we don't. But they happen. And all of it happens for good to them that love the Lord. But all of it happens to bring you closer to the promise that God's made about you in the first place. God is refining you to become what the Lamb's book of life says you are. And that's what's important. <clears throat> when old Elijah looked out of the cave and saw that Shunammite woman coming, he said, this looks like that Shunammite woman coming. She must be grieved. Go meet her. She's grieved in her heart, and God's never told me nothing about it. He said, God don't have to tell you everything, so uh, God, God don't have to tell you everything, so he don't even tell his prophets everything. He just does what he wants. He's God. And what if Elijah said, well, why didn't you tell me? Why, why didn't you tell me why she's coming? And why didn't you tell me about it? He never said a thing like that to God. Because he's out of that grade. He's, he's past that grade. He's, he's higher on up. He'd never seen a thing, but it was all right with Elijah, whatever it was. And what if she had come up and said, oh, you said you were the servant of God, you hypocrite. He said, I do believe you ain't nothing but a holy roller. He said it would never have happened. The resurrection of that boy would never have happened. But God tries us sometimes just to see what we'll do. Stuff happens. And stuff happens many times just because God is trying to get out of you what doesn't need to be there. Judge me, O Lord. David writes, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, and therefore I shall not slide. Examine me. 
David is actually inviting, look, David's inviting the process. Examine me, Lord, and prove me, and try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. Lord, as best I can, I'm at this place where as best I can, I have done everything I know how. But Lord, if, if I still have not overcome, if I still have this issue, if I still have this problem, Lord, examine me. And there may be something I don't even know. There may be something in my life I'm not even aware of. I may have an attitude that I'm harboring here, an attitude about myself. And whenever, whenever anybody comes near it, I just get offended. I just get my hackles up and get offended, and I stay offended. But you know what? <laughs> They're all wrong. Sometimes you need to say, Lord, examine me, because if it's not them but me, take out of me what lets me see what's right. Wow. You know what people who say that are called? You know what people who say things like that are called? Christians. Real believers. Because they're not sitting on their high horse and saying, I'm right because of who I am, and I'm right because I'm in the Malachi 4 movement. They're not saying that at all. They're just saying, you know what? I'm human. I've studied thy word, like David said. I've followed thy truth all the days of my life, but I'm still in this body. And Lord, examine me. This is what David's actually inviting the process. And I think in adoption, I think it's good for us to invite the process and stop saying, Lord, examine everybody else, but Lord, examine me. Here's Brother Branham in the tax case. And he said, I came back in a few minutes, my precious little wife standing in the door, and she looked at me, and I knew what she meant when her eyes caught mine. And she said, Billy, is that exactly right? You know how you like to justify yourself. You know what, you know what, you know what happened? What happened is, Brother Branham <coughs> tells his wife, um, he doesn't want to talk to the tax people anymore. The IRS are relentless. They're trying to ask him questions about what happened to this check and what happened to that. What did you do with this and what did you do with that? And they come to the door and Brother Branham steps outside the door, like just opens up steps across the threshold, and he said to his wife, tell him I'm not here. And so she does. She said, no, he's not here. I'll just give him a message. And when he comes back in the room, she said, Bill, is that just right? Now, it's one thing for a husband and wife to have conversations like that, and they do. But then Brother Branham says, I went down to make a sick call, and I went into, watch, I went into the room to pray for a little sick baby, a man who had been waiting a long time with this baby. And I went in to pray for it, and when I started to lay my hands on it, something said, can you lay your lying hands on that child? All right, all right, somebody reported. Do you get my point? Somebody's reporting to the boss. There wasn't just two people in that kitchen. There was three. Oh, the boss knows. Who told him? The tutor. <laughs> Do you want me to keep going with this? How can you lay your lying hands on that child? Was the tutor, was the Holy Spirit saying anything wrong? No. You know what? He's caught. 
Brother Bram's caught. The Bible said, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have, co- then we have uh, confidence in God. And that's what's the matter with the Christian church. Can't get anything done is because our hearts are condemning us with unconfessed sin. It's not easy for me to tell you this, but it's the truth. And that's the way to be truthful. And you know what? The truth is what sets you free. Until you come to the position of truth, you're going to remain bound with whatever it is that binds you. I've told people lots of times in my years of ministry and counseling, I've told people at the beginning many times, some of you and lots and lots of people around the world, I've told them, counseling doesn't set you free. Brother Barry can set you free. Brother Branham couldn't set you free. Truth. You shall know the truth, John 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And until you're ready to come down to admitting what is true, then you know what? We are really, literally wasting time. I always tell people that. You have to come to a place where you're willing to admit the truth. I've seen it so many times where people beat around the bush and they make up stories and they justify this and that. I remember one time I was in the country of Norway and there was a couple that were there and they, this, this wife was pulling her hair out because she couldn't figure out what was wrong in their marriage and the husband was this and that and she complained about it and so forth. And finally, finally, this, this man who was, he was blathering on, just blathering on in this uh, interview. And the pastor asked me if I would sit in on this thing. And he's blathering and blathering, telling stories about all, all kinds of excuses and so on. And it was so confusing. And I said, I said, my brother, I said, now look, I'm not your pastor here, but I'll tell you this. Every time I've ever seen anybody do this, it is literally an attempt at throwing up a smokescreen. Because you don't want to get at the truth. And you don't want anybody to see the truth of what's going on. So I said, why don't you stop what you're doing? And tell us what's true. And he kind of looked at me like that. And he said, he turned to his wife and he said, there is another woman. And when he said that, there was such an impact in the room. He literally fell on the floor. Came right off his chair and fell on the floor. Once he did that, the whole atmosphere broke. Everything changed. Because you know what? Now the Holy Spirit's free to move. Now the Holy Spirit's free to do something. Now the Holy Spirit's free to set this man free and this woman free from the bondage of this whole situation here. And you know what? We can move on now because we have light, we have truth, and that's what Satan hates. So here's Brother Branham telling this on tape so the world will hear forever that the only way to be free from something like this is to come back to the truth. And Brother Branham did go back to the IRS investigator and tell him, hey, i got to tell you, I was there. I told my wife to say that, but I was there. And he, he made that right with that person. But he's telling us, because this is the way you need to be free. This is the, way, the only way you're going to be free is to be truthful. Here's how to do it. Just say the truth. 
Because you know what? Whether you like it or not, there's a tutor who's telling someone else. There isn't two in the Godhead. Don't confuse me. He's For, for the purposes of t- the analogy, God is omnipresent and God is omniscient. So he can be everywhere and know everything. He can even know what you're doing and watch you do it. But it doesn't set you free until you say, I did wrong. Are we okay? I know you weren't expecting this thought tonight, but he said, now multiply that. That's the matter today. That's what's the matter today with the Christian church. We can't get anything done because our hearts are condemning us with unconfessed sin. What about if we had a need in here, some terminal sickness in here, and somebody with unconfessed sin, and we're trying to pray for that person and trying to pray that person through to a healing and trying to get some progress in here? Listen, trying to do things that the Bible said we should be doing, laying hands on the sick and they shall recover? If, if, there is, if there is something there that, you know what, we need to make right, Brother Bram said, it's not easy, but it is the truth, and that's the way to be truthful. Hmm. Wow. Look, in, in this particular quote here, Brother Bram said, God has taken Israel out of Egypt. He said it was a type of Christ bringing the bride out of the church. What separates the two? What's, what's the difference in the two? Look, go around Hickory tonight. It's all kinds of churches that have believers in it, people in it, who look a lot like you and carry a King James Bible, have the young people sitting up front, flipping through blueprints, and going to go out in their cars, go home, go to work tomorrow. We're, I mean, what separates us from any other group that meets in Hickory? Brother Ram tells us here, He said in the second paragraph, it'll be the elected of God that'll be brought out. And we're on the verge of that exodus right now. Time will fade out into eternity. He's coming to take a bride out of a church. The token was the thing that made the difference between Egypt and Israel. You know what separates us from the church? Is the token. What separated the believers in in the first exodus in Goshen? What separated the Israelites from the Egyptians was blood on the door. What separates you from another fundamental church, non-denominational, that has a Bible study? It's not because you're smarter or you've got a more handsome pastor or we sing better music and have a suave, charismatic fellow like Joe leading the singing. Let me tell you, that's not what sets us apart. There's people, no offense, but there's people that have better musicians and better programs and so forth than we do. It's not that. It's the token that separates us. And you know what that is? That's the evidence of the life of Almighty God. And that's got to be applied over you. That life has got to be resident in you. And he said, they were all, watch, they were all human beings, all God created, all the handiwork of God, but the difference when the death penalty was passed, the difference between life and death was the token. And so will it be at the coming of the Son of God when he brings the bride out of the church. The difference will be the token. The token will be the difference. How about David? 
David goes, he's supposed to be out in battle, sees Bathsheba, takes Bathsheba, takes Uriah, has him killed, marries Bathsheba, she's expecting a child, has a child. In a sense, David thinks, we're moving on. But somebody went and told the father. So David, let me tell you a story. And David knows somebody told. Somebody told a story. Somebody reported on me. Wow. You know what? I don't think, this may sound funny, I don't think that God would condemn us for making mistakes because every single one of us is capable. Overreacting, underreacting, losing our patience, all the other things that happen to us in life. I think God rather would be more bothered by you having the opportunity to make that right and say, I'm not going to do it. Nobody knows. I'm not going to do it. I think that's the part that God would hold you accountable for. Not for being human. Because you know what? An omniscient God would know you're human. But if he provides us a way to remedy that, to make that right, and we turn away and say, well, nobody knows. I can get away with that. Nobody knows. I can erase my history. I'm going to be willing to say that before you hit the button, somebody's gone to the... <laughs> that tutor's already gone to the boss. <laughs> so when we talk about simple things like recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Who do you think knows who's being honest and who's not? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Oh, let's move on from that. That's too volatile. Oh, my goodness. God says by little... And little, I'll drive these people out in the promised land. You're going to inhabit the promised land. I'm not going to drive them all out at one, one false swoop. I could, but I'm not. I'm going to drive them out little by little. Understand this, that the process we go through in this teaching and in the adoption cycle, the schooling of the Holy Spirit, he's interested in helping us a little at a time. We master something. We get something fixed that needs to be fixed. And we move on. God never required everybody upon their conversion to fix everything all at once and then have a life without any corrections in it at all. Little by little. We take steps little by little. We journey one step at a time. When we think about... <clears throat> This whole idea of being free, that the truth will set you free. The truth is a powerful thing. 
we know the Word of God is truth, and it's like a sword. And it'll pierce and divide all the way down to bones and marrow in the bones. It's a powerful thing. You need to understand your takeaway from this service is this. That every one of us, if you're born again, every one of us have a tutor. Not a tattletale, but a tutor or a razor, R-A-I-S-E-R, a razor who wants to be sure that everything that doesn't belong in your life, doesn't belong in the kingdom, he's helping you to get that out. And he's doing that because he loves you. Let's stand to our feet. So back in the very beginning, the Lord said to Gideon, I'm going to filter down through all of these people. And I want you to bring them all down to the water, and I'm going to try them right there. I'm going to give them a test. <laughs> you know what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God can bring us all to here and then send out a test. Whoa. Something you never expected. And in those simple tests, God has a way of trying us. But I'll tell you this about the bride. The predestinated bride of Christ are the kind of people that they're willing to say, even before the test, Lord, examine me. Know my heart. And if there's something in there that would cause me to fail the test, Lord, let me deal with it now. I want to know now. I'll, I want to make corrections now. I don't want to wait until we get down to the river here. In our prayers tonight, in our praying tonight, we should be saying exactly that. We should say, Lord, if that's the process, examine my heart. Examine my heart. I have nothing to hide. I know I can't hide because the razor is close by. The tutor is close by. And he's watching my progress. He's watching my development. And so, Lord, I submit myself to this process and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. That would be a good prayer. God says I'm going to separate some and I'm going to take some because God's a separator. That's what he is. What? I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole say
just so grateful to be in your house today. We've heard a great word. Lord, I just, I thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask that you just come down and be with us. Continue to reveal stuff. Lord, we have the blueprint, but we need you, Lord. Lord, throughout the rest of the week, I ask that you would just be with us. Just stir in us a desire to come to church on Sunday and just have a great revival, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would just have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Yes, have, have your 